We would love to invite you and any women from your church to come and join us every February for our Abide Women's Conference. At this conference, we have over 1,200 women from sometimes over 15 different states and hundreds of churches gather together on the beautiful campus of New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary with one purpose, to worship our God through singing, through breakout sessions, and through the study of His Word. The Abide Conference is designed to help women abide more deeply in their walk with the Lord. We bring in um, amazing teaching that's really grounded and rich biblical theology um, from our main stage to a plethora of breakout sessions that are designed to help you abide more deeply in your walk with the Lord. And it's a place that we invite you to come and worship with us, be washed in the water of the Word together with us, fellowship with ladies, connect with ladies from all over the country and our region, um, and be encouraged in your walk with the Lord. We know that so many times ministry leaders often plan and then execute the women's retreats, but we want to make this a retreat where all you have to do is bring your women to us and we will take care of everything else. So I hope you'll make plans to join us for our annual Abide Women's Conference. Uh, we would love for you to go ahead and take a part in that. I know that there will be a, a sign-up sheet in our, our lobby there. If you're a guest with us today, we're so glad you're here. We'd love to meet with you, but first thing that you can do is uh, go ahead and fill out that welcome card that's in the seat back pocket right in front of you. If you turn that into one of our offering boxes in the back of the worship center, uh, you'll be able to get a little bit more information about Luke 418 Fellowship. And uh, I, I love conferences and, and things like that because it's the family of God from all different places around the world coming together for one purpose, and that is to worship a God that is holy, that is merciful and loving to us. Let's stand together. Why don't you say hi to the person next to you, and we'll begin in worship today. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. I've been washed in the fountain, cleansed by His blood. Join heirs with Jesus as we travel this side. For I'm part of the family, the family of God. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. I've been washed in the Let's sing together that He is holy, that there is no one like our God this morning, and that we can worship Him in spirit and in truth because of what Jesus has done for us. Let's sing together. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, early in the morning our song shall rise to Thee. Blessed tree. 
Now, I'm not going to come to you this morning and say that I got it all figured out when it comes to the Trinity. Uh, I, don't, I don't think there's many people that can say that. But I do know this, that I have a Father that loves me. There's a Son that gave Himself for me. And there's a Holy Spirit in this heart that's leading and guiding me onward. It says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, He made Him who had no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Josh, would you lead us? Who Who knew no sin that we might become His righteousness He humbled Himself and carried the cross Love so amazing Love so amazing Would you sing with us? Jesus Messiah
as we continue in worship today. Sing the song as a prayer. We bow our hearts. We bend our knees. Oh, Spirit, come make us humble. Sing it, church. We turn our eyes from evil things. Oh, Lord, we cast down our idols. Give us clean hands. Give us pure hearts. Let us not lift our souls to another. Give us clean hands. Give us pure hearts. Let us not lift our souls to another. talked about this last week. Why are we saying, give us clean hands, give us a pure heart. We want to seek after you. It's not because we're under the law, but we're under grace. And he has given to us a gift that we could never get for ourselves. So in turn, we give him our lives, our everything, our relationships, our finances, all of our decisions. And we say, give us clean hands and pure heart. Let me see your face. I can't ascend the hill of the Lord unless I have a clean hands and a pure heart. That's what this song is saying. Do we desire that today, church? Amen. Well, then let's sing it again. Desire that today. We bow our hearts. We bend our knees. Oh, Spirit, come make us humble. We turn our eyes from evil things. Oh, Lord, we cast down our idols. Give us clean hands. Give us pure hearts. Let us not lift our souls to another. And give us clean hands, oh God. Give us pure hearts. Let us not lift our souls to
sing this together. The love of God is greater far than tongue or pen can ever tell. It goes beyond the Father, we know that your love reaches farther than we could ever imagine. You throw our sins as far as east is from the west. You saw us in your need as what we were, a sinner. But you provided a way for us to be saved. I was contrary to the world. You did not send a, a conquering king this first time around. You sent a servant savior to die on a cross for our sins. You knew where we were. You knew what we needed. You gave it to us, not in part, but in whole, for all time. It was finished on the cross, Lord, and we pray that we would live every single day in that fact. That you would give us clean hands and a pure heart, that we would walk toward being sanctified, being the body of Christ with the mind of Christ. We love you and we praise you today and we give you our all, our everything. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. out my days Life carried me along In my soul I yearn to follow God But 
so strong I look toward at this world to learn how heaven could be gained just to end where I began where human effort is all in vain were it not for grace I can tell you where I'd be wandering down some pointless road to nowhere with my salvation up to me I know how that would go the battles I would face forever running but losing the race were it not for grace Oh, this is all my praise Expressed with all my heart Offered to a friend Who took my place And ran a course I could not even start and when he saw in full just how much his love would cost he still went the final mile between me and heaven so I would not be lost were it not for grace I can tell you where I'd be Wandering down some pointless road to nowhere With my salvation up to me I know how that would go The paddles I would pardon and cleanse within 
grace, grace, God's grace, grace that is greater than all my sin. Well, praise the Lord. If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, open up to the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 5. We've been in the Sermon on the Mount for about three months now, so much so that my page is falling out of my Bible. But that's okay, we're going to keep going through the Sermon on the Mount. You know, I had everything prepared on Friday, the Lord just put on my heart that if we don't solidify this point in our heart a certain specific understanding, then going further could easily build a legalistic view. And so today we're going to look at Matthew five twenty all the way to the end that oftentimes is called the sixth antithesis that Jesus speaks against the view of the Pharisees. But instead of going through all of those, we're going to take an overview today to get the, the heart of this, the purpose of what Jesus is, is saying. So that in the next few weeks as we walk through this verse by verse, we can hold on to that main purpose, that understanding. So as we begin today, let me just give you a reminder of what we've seen in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus has spoken these incredible statements. He starts off by sharing what our character will look like for those who are in Christ. Poor in spirit, mourning over sin, humble, meek, pure in heart, peacemakers. He spoke and said that this will cause us to hunger and thirst for righteousness, and in doing so we shall be satisfied. But he also said that when you live this life, you will also be persecuted by the world. Jesus then went on to tell the disciples and the crowd that had gathered, he said, you will have a major effect on this world, for you will be the salt of the earth, and you will be the light of the world. We saw last week this incredible statement by Jesus that he didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. Remember, God placed his only son under the law so that he may fulfill the law by obeying every part. And by fulfilling the law, Jesus took our punishment that we deserve because we broke the law. And in his death and his resurrection, we're no longer under the law, but we're under grace. But as I shared last week, simply being under grace does not mean that we don't obey the law. Praise God, it's the grace of God that gives us the Holy Spirit of God that allows us and enables us to obey the law of God. But what the Lord put on my heart this week, and we touched on it last week, but we're going to spend some time today just dwelling on this, and that is, what is the heart of the law? What is the, as, as you see in the scripture in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, it speaks of this in verse 6. It says, the letter of the law kills, 
but the spirit of the law gives life. And then it says this down in verse 17. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. There is freedom. Church, I don't know about you, but I rejoice. I get Holy Ghost goosebumps when I start thinking about that. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And so we're going to look at this today, but just so that we can get this overview, I'm going to read Matthew chapter 5, verse 20 until the end. It's a little bit of a reading here, so y'all bear with me either on the screen or in front of you. I hope you have your Bibles with you. But let's pick up in verse 20. For I say to you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. You have heard the ancients were told, you shall not commit murder. And whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. And whoever says to his brother, you good for nothing, shall be guilty before the supreme court. And whoever says, you fool, shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. Therefore, if you are presenting your offering at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your offering there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and present your offering. Make friends quickly with your opponents at law, while you are with him on the way, so that your opponent may not hand you over to the judge, and the judge to the officer, and you be thrown into prison. Truly I say to you, you will not come out of there until you have paid up the last cent. Verse 27. You have heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye makes you stumble, tear it out and throw it from you. For it is better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. If your right hand makes you stumble, cut it off and throw it from you. For it is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. It was said, whoever sends his wife away, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife except for the reason of unchastity makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you have heard that the ancients were told, You shall not make false vows, but shall fulfill your vows to the Lord. But I say to you, make no oath at all, either by heaven or, I mean, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is the footstool of his feet, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Nor shall you make an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. But let your statement be yes, yes, or no, no. Anything beyond this is of evil. You have heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist an evil person. But whoever slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other to him. If one wants to sue you and take your shirt, let him have your coat also. Whoever forces you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks of you and do not turn away from him who wants to borrow from you. You have heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. So that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. For he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good. And sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. 
If you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Therefore, you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the truth that we have. And Father, I recognize right now that without the Holy Spirit illuminating the pages, opening our hearts to receive, Father, that that my words will return void, but your words will not. And so Holy Spirit, we ask that you would illuminate the pages in our heart today. I pray, Father, that if we come in here with even false belief systems that we don't recognize, I pray that you would show us today. Now, Father, I'm so thankful that we can stand on your word. May your word go forth and may your name be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You know, as, as I prepared this message, my heart was heavy for many reasons, you know, there's a few messages or times in the scripture where we look at things and, and people have many different ideas and views. Such as when we talked about what Jesus was saying in the scripture about predestination and free will. Y'all remember that in the book of Ephesians chapter 1? Sometimes when you speak of the Trinity, as uh, Brother Aaron said, I don't fully understand it. I don't get it either. I don't fully understand it, but I know that that is because the word says that we have a triune God, three in one. And I can't wait to experience in heaven as I look upon God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. When you get to the law, I think that there are times where people have built ideas and thoughts in their heart from a little kid. And so I'm asking today that as we look at the heart or the spirit of the law, I'm asking that you would just hear what God is speaking and let the Lord write this upon your heart today. So as we look at this, Jesus speaks in verse 20. He says, For I say to you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. We talked last week about how the Pharisees were only concerned with the action. They were only concerned with the letter of the law. And as I told you that John Stott made this statement, he said Jesus wasn't telling us to do things this, uh, more in deed than the Pharisees, but in a different kind than the Pharisees. The Pharisees were focused on this outward expression, this action, and Jesus was saying that our righteousness is that of the heart and that it must surpass that of the Pharisees. So when Jesus says this in verse 21, he says, you heard that the ancients were told. And then he says in verse 22, but I say to you. When he speaks this, there's two views that take place. One, some people believe that Jesus has taken the Old Testament and he's saying, well, here's what it really is. Well, the problem with that view is that Jesus said that he came to fulfill the law, not to abolish the law. He's not changing the Old Testament. But what is happening, and the other view is this, is that he's saying to the people, you have heard the Pharisees give this understanding, this interpretation of the law, but I come to give you the correct, the right interpretation of the law. And so the first thing we're going to look at today is the Pharisees' interpretation of the law. 
The Pharisees were only concerned, as I said just a minute ago, with the action. John Stott says it this way, In order to make obedience to the law easier, the scribes and the Pharisees were restricting the commandments um, and extending... Let me say this again. In order to make obedience to the law easier, the scribes and the Pharisees were restricting the commandments and extending the permissions of the law. They made the law demands less demanding and the law's permission less per, or more permissive. And see, what we, what we recognize here is that they, they focused in on the specific letter. All right, so in the very beginning of this sixth antithesis, we see the first one is about murder. He says, you've heard it say that you should not commit murder. And anybody who commits murder is liable, right, to the courts. The Pharisees would say that as long as you don't commit that act, you're okay. You're good. It doesn't matter how you feel towards someone, but as long as you don't go all the way to the place of murder, everything is okay. Well, what about when he says later on down, he says, love your uh, neighbor and hate your enemy. You've heard that said. The Pharisees would say that as long as you're loving your neighbor, you don't have to to deal with your enemy. Well, who was the enemy of of the Jews in their mind? Well, one was the Gentiles, right? Another was the Roman uh, people. And so what they were doing was they were focusing in on simply the letter of the law. Now, the Pharisees' interpretation of the law was extremely important to the common person of the day. Let me explain there's two reasons. One is because they were in a place of authority. They were in a place of of prominence, a position, right? We listen to a weatherman talking about where this hurricane's going. Why? Because they're in a place of authority. We think that, hey, they've done research, they've studied, they know, and so we're going to watch and see where this storm that's out somewhere down south is going to be coming but if you notice one day it was over here and now it's over there and now we don't know where it's going right but when somebody is in a place of authority people listen but there's even a greater reason why it was so important for their understanding or interpretation of the law see the pharisees and the scribes they knew hebrew and because they knew hebrew the people were trusting their understanding And see, the nation of Israel was in exile for 70 years in Babylon. And while they were in exile, during this time, many of them began to speak Aramaic. But the Old Testament was in Hebrew, and during the days of Jesus, most people spoke Aramaic. That's actually why, how many of y'all have seen the Passion of Christ? What language is he speaking? Aramaic, right? He's speaking that. So the Pharisees and the Sadducees were those who were fluent. They knew, they studied Hebrew and the language. That meant that the people were completely trusting the religious people of the day to share God's word and to help them understand it. Now, let me just remind you, Jesus came strongly against those who were teaching people a false understanding of God's word. And just a reminder, it says in Matthew 8, 16, But whoever causes one of the little ones who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for them to have a heavy millstone hung around their neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. 
Remember, Jesus didn't come harsh against those that were sinners. He came and ate with them and shared the love of God with them. But those who were interpreting the law incorrectly and placing that upon, that burden upon the people, he came strongly against them. See, this is extremely important for us to understand. The Pharisees and the scribes were the ones who knew the Hebrew and were able to speak that to the people. Now, I want to take a side note here and just tell you, as as a pastor, a practical teaching point here. And this is why uh, your pastor must, must teach God's Word and God's Word alone. But let me just tell you also, this is why you, as the body of Christ, and me as the body of Christ, must also study God's Holy Word so that we know that what the pastor is speaking is that of God. See, they couldn't do that. They didn't have that ability, so they had complete trust. Now, they would have known some Hebrew words, and and maybe they would have had more, some people would have had more understanding than others. Church, I'm so thankful today that I believe that every person in this room has a Bible in their language. Now, I believe that everybody in here probably speaks English. And if you don't have a Bible in English, we will make sure you get one today. Why? Because we are called to be in God's Word day in and day out. We're called to let the Word of God wash over us. It's not just come on a Sunday morning and hear what the pastor's saying and come on a Wednesday night and hear what the youth pastor or the college pastor or the pastor's speaking. We must be men and women of the Word. Otherwise, we can easily fall into false doctrine by somebody teaching something that's not of God's Word. So, we see this And we see the importance of being able to study God's Word. But the Pharisees here were giving this false understanding. They were telling the people that as long as they were keeping this list of rules and they add it to the rules. Remember we talked about that last week. They were adding to the rules and telling them as long as you keep these rules, then you're okay. Can I tell you, church, that there's many false religions, if not every false religion out there that focuses on a group of rules and regulations That when you obey those rules and regulations, then you're going to be okay. Can I tell you that doesn't that kind of feed the natural flesh inside of us? Everybody likes a rule follower, don't they? When we follow a group of rules, we feel a sense of accomplishment. We feel like we've proven ourselves. And that what we get, we've earned. We deserve it. Doesn't that kind of feed our natural human flesh? I like a set of rules, right? If you go play a sports game, if you play football, I I went to the South Alabama game and everybody that saw me yesterday said, David, isn't it past your bedtime? I said, yes, it is. But as I went there, they play, they have all these rules and they have to play by the rules, right? We like that. When you play by the rules, it's a great game. When, when it's not playing by the rules, it's a, a, what we call a sloppy game. And it's just like, oh, like there's so many flags and all these different things. We like a set of rules. But can I tell you why? Oftentimes it's because that's how we've been taught all of our life. See, we often teach our kids to follow the rules without teaching the kids the heart behind these rules. Without the correct interpretation of the rules, we can easily create in our children little Pharisees 
who will obey the rules, but their hearts are far from the truth. Let me ask this question to you. Has your child ever said, Daddy, Mommy, can I get ice cream? That's like every day at my house. And I say, not today. But Daddy, I've been good. And see, they're, they're valuing in their mind that as long as I'm obeying the rules, then, then that means I deserve this. I, I should get this. See, oftentimes we'll tell them, hey, listen, uh, don't go and, and watch TV before you finish your homework. And you find them watching TV on these iPads now. I thought I told you. Don't go watch TV until you finish your homework. I'm not watching the TV. I'm watching the iPad. And then, to make it even more, my kids will say, oh, okay, I can't watch on the iPad. So then I'll get one of our old phones. And they'll be sitting there, and I'm like, well, I thought we told you not to watch TV. I didn't watch TV, and I'm not watching on the iPad. Because why? They're focused on the letter of the law instead of the heart of the law. This is what the Pharisees were teaching the people. And in some sense, it was feeding the human nature of desiring, hey, if these are the rules, all i got to do is meet up to these rules, and I'm going to be okay. And this is why Jesus has such a hard line with these Pharisees, why he's so difficult or comes against them so hard in the scripture. It's because they've been teaching people the wrong interpretation of the law. And so we see Jesus then come in, and the second thing is, is Jesus gives the correct interpretation of the law. Now I want to start by showing you this. In verse 22, it starts out by saying, but I say to you, Now, we see this in all six of these. But I say to you, but I say to you, but I say to you. What is Jesus doing in this moment? He is setting up or speaking to them his authority. Think about this for a minute. The Pharisees and the Sadducees are the ones who basically the people thought had the authority to speak over the law and to give interpretation of the law. And here comes this young 30-year-old who is a carpenter, and he says, but I say to you, and he gives the proper, the correct interpretation of the law. Can you imagine what the Pharisees are thinking about Jesus right now? The Pharisees are thinking, well, I went to school. I know Hebrew. I'm older than you. Who are you to be saying this? Jesus is making this powerful statement and a show of his authority. Now let's just look at this for a second. Why is Jesus the authority on the law? Well, we know because of the word of God. First off, he's the son of God. He's the son of the living God. Can I tell you, second off, he was there, he was there when the law was given to Moses. It's as if he's saying, not only was I there when the law was given, I'm the one who gave him the law. I'm the one who who created the law. All things were created in and through him. I'm the one who, who spoke this to Moses. Now the Pharisees, like I said, didn't really like it. Who is this guy? What is he doing? He claims to be the son of God. He claims to have been here from the beginning. He claims that he is the one who ultimately gave the law to Moses. 
Martin Lloyd-Jones says it this way. It's as if Jesus is saying something like this. I am who, I who am speaking to you am the very res- one responsible for the law of Moses. It was I who gave the law to Moses, and it's I alone who can truly interpret the law. Strong statement. Church, when you want to look or when you need an interpretation or an understanding of a book that you read, would you rather go to a bunch of people who call themselves experts or to the author? If you're looking at a beautiful painting and you're trying to figure out what the artist was meaning in this painting, do you want to go to a bunch of experts or do you want to go to the creator that put the painting together? Church, We have the words of the Creator who wrote, who spoke, God breathed His Word. We have the interpretation of the Word by using the Word of God to interpret the Word of God. Listen, I do go to commentary, but let me tell you, if the commentary is not pointing me back to the Word, then we got big problems. And if the commentary is not saying, let's go back and look at this word or that word. Let's go look at what Jesus said here in this moment. I say, this ain't a commentary I want to be a part of. Because we must let the word interpret the word. Jesus is setting up in this moment and he's saying, I am the one who gave the law. I'm the one who spoke it to Moses. I'm the only one who can interpret the law. And Jesus then begins in these six antithesis or antitheses between 21 and the end he begins to speak of the spirit of the law and in second corinthians chapter 3 i already read it to you just a minute ago but verse 6 it says the letter of the law kills but the spirit of the law or the spirit gives life so let's look at what jesus is saying about the spirit of the law I wrote down three things, though there's many things that we could easily look into here. But the first thing I want us to see is that the spirit of the law is extremely important, not just the letter only. The spirit of the law is extremely important, not the letter only. See, the letter of the law spoke to the action. Thou shalt not murder, okay? Don't murder and you're good. The spirit of the law speaks to the heart, It says, listen, even if you're not murdering somebody literally, if your attitude towards them is anger, then in your heart you already have murdered. You've had the same situation. Because he's speaking to the heart of the matter. Danny Akins in his commentary on uh, Christ-centered exposition, he says this, and and he really just lists these out, which I, I like how he lists it out. The command, do not murder, but the principle, the intent, do not allow your anger in your heart. That's the spirit of the law. The command, do not commit adultery, the, the, the spirit of the law is, do not even allow wrongful lust in your heart. The command, let divorce be done legally, the principle, the spirit of the law is, do not divorce except for sexual immorality. The law, do not swear falsely, but the spirit of the law is, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Why do you even have to swear? I always tell my kids, I, they say, I promise, Dad. I'm like, why do you have to promise? The only reason you have to promise is if there's been times that you've said something that wasn't true. And so at our house, we always say, say what you mean and mean what you say, right? Say what you mean, mean what you say. And what's really fun 
I'm totally chasing a rabbit here, but what's really fun is when our kids say that to us. All of a sudden, we're, we're eating ice cream when we say we're not going to eat that much sugar. And my son goes, at seven years old, mean what you say and say what you mean. And that's when we're hiding that ice cream, you know. The law says equal retribution is okay. The spirit of the law, go the extra mile for your adversaries. The law, love your neighbor, hate those, uh, your enemy. The, the spirit of the law, love your enemy and pray for him. Now let me just say this, this was their interpretation. The Pharisees' interpretation is what Jesus is coming against. He's not coming against the law, he's coming against their interpretation. Let me give you one more example. It says down at the bottom of this in Matthew 5, it says that we are called to, uh, it says in verse 43, you have heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. You know, it reminds me of the Good Samaritan. Remember, the, it says this in Luke 10, 36, a lawyer stood up and put him to the test. Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, what is written in the law? How does it read to you? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But look at what it says. In that, later in that verse it says, But wishing to justify himself, he said to, to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Now we know the story. We know what took place. Let me show you at the end of the story when Jesus is speaking this. He says this in verse 36. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the robber's hands? And he said, the one who showed mercy towards him. Jesus said to him, go and do the same. See, they were saying, who is my neighbor? Jesus was saying, who are you going to be a neighbor for? Let me say that again. They were saying, who is my neighbor? Jesus is saying, who are you going to be a neighbor for? Look at what Jesus said. To which one of these men, these three men, that were going down this road to Jericho, I believe it was Jericho, as they're walking down, which one proved to be a neighbor? Jesus is saying, it's not about who is your neighbor. The question is, is are you going to be a neighbor to all people? Are you going to love and share the gospel? Are you going to go forth and, 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 and walk according to the word of God for all people? That's the spirit of the law that Jesus is speaking. But there's another thing that he's saying in this about the spirit of the law. The law doesn't speak simply to our inability to fulfill it. The law doesn't simply speak to the fact that we can't fulfill it. Now, it does. That was one of the main purposes of it, right? It showed us our inability to fulfill it. But the law isn't just negative. There are some incredible things because of the law. Because of the law, we saw that our need for a Savior. Because of the law, we saw the holiness of God. We see His righteous standing or His holiness. Because of the law, we see that when we're filled with the Holy Spirit of promise, that we can walk in obedience of God's law, which means we reflect the image and character of God. Think about it for a second. If the law... If the law, in some sense, is God himself, because why? We're seeing the holy standard of who God is. 
right? When Jesus, when God was speaking and he said, do this, do that, uh, and don't do this and don't do that, when the ceremonial laws, and, and you need to be cleansed before you come into the Holy of Holies, high priest, right? He was doing that. Why? Because of how holy God is. And if they didn't cleanse themselves, he knew they were going to fall over dead like that. But how amazing is this? Because he's filled us with the Holy Spirit and we can walk in obedience of the law now by the grace of God in us, he's showing us that we can reflect his image and his holiness. Now it's not our righteousnesses but filthy rags. But when we walk in accordance with God's commands and His and obedience to His law by the power of the Holy Spirit, we're reflecting the image and the character and the holiness of God. Not in our power, but in his. And there's one other thing I want us to see. The law is not something that we suffer to get to an end. It's not something that we just, oh, the law of God, if I can just obey it, then one day I'll get to heaven and I won't have to deal with this anymore. I'll be free. No. We rejoice that we understand the spirit of the law. By the power of the Holy Spirit is refining us to walk in obedience of His law. See, as I told you, the law shows us God's holiness. And because of the Spirit of God, we can live and show the character of God. But see, we often fall into this trap about, oh, I just have to, I just have to obey the law. I just have to obey the law. I just have to obey the law. And this is what happens. We will lay our head down at night and we'll say, okay, did I, did I do this? Did I do that? Did I not do this? Did I not do that? And we'll begin to focus on the do's and don'ts. And that's us focusing on the letter of the law. Church, I think it's time that when we lay our head down at night, we ask ourselves questions based on the spirit of the law. Let me tell you what that looks like. Did I hunger and thirst for righteousness today? Did I hunger and thirst for righteousness? Did I glorify God today with my life? See, so often we're like, okay, uh, this sin, I can't do this, I can't do that. All right, so I lay my head down and I feel kind of prideful. Okay, I didn't do this today, yes. Or do we lay our head down and say, did I hunger and thirst for righteousness? Did I glorify God with my life? Do I know God more intimately than when I woke up this morning? I like to say it this way. Do I look more like Jesus as I lay my head down than when I woke up this morning? Did I yield to the Spirit of God working in my life? Did I abide? There it is, right, church? Abide. Did I dwell? Did I delight in God's Word today? When we say, yes, I did grow. Yes, I, uh, I, I did hunger and thirst and I was satisfied by God's Word. You know what we do? We don't say, whoo! I did it. We say, praise God. Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God for what He has done in my life. He's the one who's growing me. The sanctification process is coming forth by the Holy Spirit. He's doing it. Church, I told you before, we beat ourselves up for not being here. As long as we are on the trajectory that way, God is doing a work in your life and we rejoice. So I want to close with one last point. All of this goes to the heart of the Father. If we don't understand the heart of the Father, we'll never understand the spirit of the law and the letter of the law.
I'm going to do my best to, to, to bring this as practical as I can. How many of you were here when I taught on the Shema and my daughter came up on stage, right? The Shema in Deuteronomy says, Hear, O Israel. That word hear means it's Shema, and it means listen and obey. If you're listening, then you're obeying. If you're obeying, then you're listening, right? My wife tells me something, I'm like, uh-huh. And then I don't do it, right? Did I Shema? No. No, I, I didn't listen. I didn't obey. I didn't do what was asked, right? And if you remember, I shared with you about how I brought my daughter up here and, and I had her do some trust falls right here. And I said, listen, I want you to, to fall in my arms and, and I want you to listen and I want you to obey what dad is saying. I want you to hear Shema, listen, obey, fall back. And she did. But can I tell you that if we stop there, then we're just looking at the letter of the law. Just listen and just obey, just obey, just obey. It's what we do with our children sometimes, right? We talked about that. I've gone back and I've watched the video many times because as a dad, that illustration still wrecks me. And I want to show you 50 seconds of that today because God showed me something so powerful. I want you to watch this. Well, hang on, we're going to have to start it over and, and, and make sure you can hear what, what's being said. I love you like crazy. And you know daddy will always provide a way. He'll always provide a way, right? Daddy loves you so, so much. Now, what I'm going to ask you to do is I'm going to ask you Step back just a little bit right here. I'm going to ask you to look at me. I'm going to ask that you trust that Daddy has created a way for you. That he's given you provision. And I'm going to ask you why you look straight at me. Just to fall back knowing that Daddy has created a way. Will you fall back? Fall back for me. Amen. Amen. Here's what the Lord showed me. For those who don't recognize this or didn't, weren't here, Emmy didn't know that somebody was coming up behind her. And so it doesn't quite make sense when dad's looking in front of you and says, fall back. But in that moment, here's what God showed me as I've processed this, that moment over and over. God said, look at what you said to her at the start. I was on my knees looking straight at her eyes. And I said, Emmy, Dad loves you. Dad cares for you. Dad's not going to ask you to do anything that's going to harm you. And I'm asking that you would trust me. That I have made provision for you. And in that moment, I think Emmy was six years old. Now she's ten. She fell back. She didn't fully understand or grasp what was going to happen. But she heard her dad's heart. And she saw that her dad loved her. Church, when we come to the law and the spirit of the law, you can sit there and say, well, well I just have to do this because that's what it says. Or you can say that I 
see my father's heart. And that my father loves me. And my father cares for me. And because he cares for me, and because he loves me, I want to please my father. And I know that when he asks me to do something, he has my best interest in mind. And he has his, the glorification of his kingdom in mind. And so I'm going to fall back. See, it's not just building a whole bunch of rules and regulations, church. It's about recognizing the love of the Father. 1 John chapter 3, verse 1 says this. It says, See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us that we would be called children of God. Church, John 3.16, for God so loved that he gave. Romans 5.8, God demonstrated his love for us that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. When we look at God's love for us, we see that in his love, he cares for us. We see that he provides for us. We see that, that he's strong enough and that he's sovereign and that he wants what's best in our lives, church. But if we don't see the Father's heart, then we're going to go through life with a whole bunch of rules and regulations. We're going to put rules and regulations on other people. And we're going to miss the fact that the Scripture says where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. When your Heavenly Father is there holding you and you know that He cares and that He loves you, let me tell you, it's the safest place you're ever going to feel. So I want to close with a story. I know a young man grew up in church and though the spirit of the law and the heart of the father was taught for some reason he was not able to grasp and he held on to the law to the letter. In high school everything was great for this person. Because he was able to, to avoid all the, the, the traps of this culture. Just surround yourself with just, you know, nobody that's going to put you in any compromised position. And so you're going to be okay. Just follow the law. But this person literally worked himself to death. When you work according to the law, without understanding the spirit of the law... Without understanding the Father's heart, you will work yourself to the place of death. This person, when they were in college, got to a place where they could not handle anymore trying to fulfill the law. That this person, this, he, he was willing to just end his life. A friend of this person gave them the, the book, The Ragamuffin Gospel. And it helped him understand grace. But because he thought that, that you know, if it's, if it's not the letter of the law, then maybe it's grace. So, so run over here and for a year of his life just ran uh, away from all the things that he had learned according to the word of God. Because he just said, I'm under grace, under grace, under grace. But then the Lord began to show this young man the heart of the Father. 
He began to open his eyes up to see that this is not about just following rules to say, look at what I've done so I can enter the kingdom of heaven. Father said, I love you. I care for you. And what I have given you is for your good. And I love you. That person is me. It was a time in my life where I thought I had to follow the law to a T. And I became so legalistic. I ran to the other side of grace and I saw myself in, in some of the hardest times of my life. But when I started to see the heart of the Father, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. Not freedom to run around and sin and use it for His, for, for just cheap grace, but to go forth in obedience of His commands because of the feeling of the Holy Spirit, because we love the Father, because He loves us. Church, if we don't grasp this today, we can't go any further in the Sermon on the Mount. If we don't get to a place where we say, I see the heart of the Father in all of this. And then we say, Father, here am I. Use me for your glory. Whatever you want from my life, it's yours. If you want me to be a pastor, I'll be a pastor, God. If you want me to go into the marketplace, I'll go in the marketplace. If you want me to go here, there, I know you love me. And wherever you send me is for your glory and for your kingdom. Church, can we get to the place, as Emmy did in that moment, hearing her father say, I love you. I care for you. So just fall back, knowing that I have made a way. Church, we're going to close with this song. We sang it just a moment ago. I pray that as we sing this song, you can stay seated. You don't even have to stand up. The altar is going to be open. We're going to be down front. We'd love to, to speak with you. But let me just tell you, I believe that the Lord is dealing in the hearts of people right now. And maybe you just need to kneel where you are or just stay seated and pray. Or you want to come down here and just cry out to God. But let this song wash over you that you may see the heart of the Father. That He cares for you. And that He loves you. Loves you so much that He sent His only Son to die. So that you may be set free from the penalty of the law. And live by grace in God through the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. Let's sing this song as we just dwell on the goodness of God. The love of God is greater far than tongue or pen can ever tell. It goes beyond the highest star and reaches to the lowest hell the guilty pair bowed down with care god gave his son to win his erring child he reconciled and pardoned from his sin 